When I uh, lived in Chicago, the worst thing about it, hands down, no question about living in Chicago or any big city, is the traffic. I am talking about 224 in Boardman at Christmas time times a thousand. Okay, there is just people, I think, that just get on the highway and drive slow because there's nothing else to do. And so if you live in Chicago, uh, when my wife and I met, we were living in Chicagoland, I was in the suburbs, she was downtown. That meant one of us was always making a trip somewhere and you couldn't make one of those trips, you couldn't make one of those trips without sitting sometime. And so there you would be sitting in traffic, waiting, crawling along at five miles an hour, inching, 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 and all of a sudden you'd see what the problem was. The problem was that somebody had gotten a flat and was on the side of the road. The problem was that somebody had gotten in an accident and we were all going slow, not to take care of their safety, no, no. We just wanna see what's going on. You know, I wanna, I wanna take a little peek as I drive by. And then as we all take a peek, then we assume, you know, 85, 90 miles an hour, it's a real safe city. So this thing I've learned where you drive by a, an accident and watch, I've learned it's called rubberneck, right? So you're driving and I guess it's because you're, you're doing this as you look. We do this in my, in my family, but the trick is that Steph just says, you look at the road and I'll watch, you know what I mean? So we have a team. There's this thing where even if it's gruesome and there's blood, doesn't that make you wanna look all the more? Doesn't it, you, you're kind of hoping like, oh, the EMTs are already here, darn it, like, gosh. You wanna see something, you wanna see the jaws of life, you wanna see the ugliness. Good Friday is a lot like that. Good Friday is a case of cosmic rubberneck. Good Friday is about the, the, the tragic death of an innocent man. Good Friday is about the slaughter of the Son of God. And every year we have to drive by slowly. Every year we find ourselves with, with rubberneck because we just have to look. We just have to take a peek. We just have to look at the nail-pierced hands, at, at the wound in the side, at the, at the crown of thorns on his brow. We can't look away. We cannot look away at this Jesus slain because in this slain Jesus on Good Friday, God's mercies are on display. On this Good Friday, in the face of a bruised and beaten bloody Jesus, God's mercies are on display. It is strange. It is curious. Peter Kreeft writes this. He says, it is, of course, the most familiar most often told story in the world, yet it is also the strangest. It has never lost its strangeness, its awe, and will not even in eternity where angels tremble to gaze at things we yawn at. And however strange, it is the only key that fits the lock of our tortured lives and needs. We needed a surgeon, and he came and reached into our wounds with bloody hands. He didn't give us a placebo or a pill or good advice. He gave us himself. It's a strange story, Peter Kreef says, and so does Isaiah a man who wrote about the, good, the first Good Friday centuries beforehand. He looked down the corridors of time, gifted by God with insight and wisdom, and saw something strange, and he wrote it in a book, 
And we're going to look at just a few chapters of that book tonight. Isaiah 52 and 53. The opening verses say this. Just watch my servant blossom. Exalted, tall, head and shoulders above the crowd. But he didn't begin that way. At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured past recognition. Nations all over the world will be in awe, taken aback. Kings shocked into silence when they see him. For what was unheard of, they'll see with their own eyes, and what was unthinkable, they'll have right before them. Who believes what we have heard and seen, Isaiah writes. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? Isaiah comes and he wants to tell us a story about God's mercy, of God's saving power, and he admits up front, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound strange. He says, nations will see it and they will be taken aback. They will be shocked. You will see what you have not yet heard of. What is unthinkable will take place before your very eyes. The story of God's saving mercy in our lives is shocking and disturbing and troubling and weird, and it is the best story any of us have ever heard. And so Isaiah says, who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? God's saving power, God's mercy is put on display to us in the death of Jesus. And Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 11, he says, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's plan, the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. You know, I find myself sometimes scrolling through Facebook, and amidst the arguments and cat videos and arguments and cat videos and arguments and crafts that people share but never make and, and cat videos and that giraffe that was supposed to have a baby like four years ago <laughs> finally had the baby in the midst of all of that I think so or okay I watched a giraffe get born and it was not cool my <laughs> wife just was like are you sure it's I can't unsee that somewhere you know I'm on Facebook and I'm starting to feel like I am on page a million of the worst book ever read and I just keep reading and, and I, I'm reading and all of a sudden I kind of have this this brief moment of clarity where I think this is a weird place Facebook there are weird things happening here and you know what I set my phone down and then I I pick it back up again like well what else is there Isaiah 52 and 53 are like that. The shock just keeps coming. The weird stuff just keeps happening. He just said that the Lord's good plan, the God of the universe built a plan A and his good plan was to crush his son. He said the good plan of the Lord will prosper in the hands of his son. But at this moment on Good Friday, his hands are otherwise occupied. His hands are pierced and nailed to a cross. How can his good plan prosper in the hands of this Jesus of Nazareth as he breathes these heavy, dying sighs? How, for that matter, how could God's saving power, how could God's good plan 
be found in someone like Jesus. Listen again to what he says in 52.14. He says his face, Jesus' face was so disfigured, he hardly seemed human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. He keeps going in verses two and three. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. He says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. We did not care. God's mercies are on display in the death of Jesus. And my friends, that is what makes Good Friday so good. But let me tell you, God's mercies are on display in the strangest, most peculiar way. Because if we were looking for God's power, we would not look for someone who, who looks like this. We would not look for the man who has a sign that says, we'll work for food as we get off the bypass to go to Walmart. We would not look for God's saving mercies in one who, if he had walked in the door tonight, there would be two seats on either side of him. We would not look for God's saving power to be found in anyone that was weak and worn, ugly, our culture's view of power would be that he would be tall and probably have a beard and biceps that could be as big as my head and he would be sexy and savvy and a million likes on Facebook, but no, God's saving power, God's mercies are on display. This strange story that Isaiah tells us is that God's mercies are on display and a man that most of us avert our eyes away from when we see him begging on the side of the road. In the face of Jesus, we saw something we didn't like. In the face of Jesus, we saw something we didn't like, so we despised him. We rejected him. And when we saw him crushed, we assumed it was because God had cursed him. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, Isaiah says. But let me tell you something stranger. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You see, Jesus was weighed down, punished, pierced, crushed, beaten, and whipped, and we assumed that it was because he had done something. We assumed that he had done something wrong, and so yes, he should be cursed. Yes, he should be crushed. Yes, he should be whipped. But that's not what Isaiah says. Nothing, from, nothing could be further from the truth because Jesus was weighed down, punished, pierced, crushed, beaten, whipped for our weaknesses, our sorrows, our troubles, our rebellion, our sin, our iniquity. That's what's truly troubling about this story. What's troubling is that God's mercies are on display in the disfigured body of Jesus. When we see his disfigured, beaten frame, when we see his wounded side, his nail-pierced hands, when we hear his heaving, 
breaths that are wet as fluid fills up his lungs. We hear his final cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden we see with our eyes what we couldn't otherwise see because in the disfigured body of Jesus, we catch a glimpse of our own disfigured souls. In the disfigured body of Jesus, we catch a glimpse of our own disfigured souls. As he hangs there twisted and beaten and dying, we suddenly find and see the ugliness of who we are. His brow is pierced with a crown of thorns. Meanwhile, our brow is furrowed with judgment and bigotry and gossip and slander. His side was pierced with a spear. Our side is pierced with laughter at those who aren't in the room to defend themselves. No cry comes from his mouth, but our mouths are full of bitterness and unforgiveness. His hands are punched through with nails, held wide open. Meanwhile, our hands are closed-fisted around our money, our stuff, our time, our preferences, our opinions. His eyes are full of compassion, even as he is mocked. And what our eyes have seen probably shouldn't be spoken of in polite company. In the disfigured form of Jesus, God's power is on display. In the disfigured form of Jesus, we see the disfigurement of our souls. But listen to me, we also catch a glimpse of God's mercy. Because on Good Friday, we point to the one true man who was disfigured for us so that we could be restored to his likeness. On Good Friday, we point to the one true man who was disfigured for us so that we could be transformed into his likeness, that we could be restored into his likeness. And this, this is what makes Good Friday, the death of an innocent man, ultimately good. It opens the way to restoration. It means that our past is embraced. It means that our sins are forgiven. It means that the worst and ugliest parts of us that the grossest and darkest parts of our stories, those things that we are awake over in the night, those things that haunt us, that those things are not the most telling part about us anymore because he was disfigured so that we could be restored to his likeness. Listen to me, there are two kinds of people. Two kinds. There's the kind of person that doesn't feel good, that knows something is going on somewhere in their body and they go to the doctor and they ask what's going wrong. And, and so they run the tests, they're poked and prodded, they fill out the paperwork over and over again. And suddenly the doctor says, we know what it is. And there's a moment of fear when we come to grips with reality, but there is relief because we know now that there was something wrong, but we now know what we can do about it. But there's another kind of person. There's another kind of person who is sick and dying and knows it and hides from the doctor. And as the tumors grow and the muscles grow weak, they plaster a smile on their face. Everything's fine. Good Friday is the diagnosis. And it falls to us to listen to what is true. And the truth is that we are sick unto death. The things you and I have done to ourselves, the things you and I have done to each other have disfigured our souls and offended the righteousness of God. 
And Isaiah says that God has chosen to reveal his saving, his saving power, which, by the way, would mean that we must need saving. If God has chosen to reveal his saving power, it must mean that we need saving. And on Good Friday, we can name what the saving is. We can name what the treatment is. We can go to the doctor. We can tell him what's wrong. And we can find that he does not offer us good advice. We can find that he does not offer us a placebo, but that he reaches into our woundedness with bloody hands and gives us himself. In 53, Isaiah says, he, Jesus, was oppressed and treated harshly yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in, in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal put into a rich man's grave. Here's, here's the strange story that in the death of Jesus, in the death of the Son of God, God's mercies are on full display that in the disfigured body of Jesus, we see the disfigurement of our own souls, but God being rich in mercy and abundant and steadfast love comes to us. His arms open wide and he offers us himself. God's mercies are on display in the death of Jesus because Isaiah says it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Why? Because he's gonna bear all their sins. It will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels, but he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Listen to me, God's mercies are on display in this way that in the dying of Jesus, your sins and mine are not counted against us. So Paul writes, he made him who knew no sin, sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin, sin for us. Why? So that, that he could make us the righteousness of God. Jesus takes upon himself our weakness and failure and our past and our shame and our addiction and our pride and our selfishness and our greed, and he dies. He dies. He dies a death that we ought to have died. But in his dying, a new way is open so that many could be counted righteous. And so we drive by this cosmic wreck of Good Friday. We drive by year after year in Sunday after Sunday, in song after song, because we just can't quite let it go. We just can't quite move on from this one thing because my sin is no longer counted against me. Why? Because Jesus paid all of it. He didn't leave 1.5% for me to work off for the rest of my life so that I have a frown on my face and I hold myself as better than everyone because I'm so religious and so righteous. No, he paid all of it so that if you even utter his name tonight, it's not about you, it's about him. That if you even sing with joy in your heart about these things, it's because he showed up and stuck his wounded, bloody hands into your wounds and offered you himself, not a placebo, not good advice, so that the lock 
could find a key to our tortured lives and needs. Paul in 2 Corinthians says something interesting. He says, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view because at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. See, we thought he was despised and rejected. We thought that we esteemed him stricken. But we were wrong. Because in the disfigurement of Jesus, we saw the disfigurement of our own souls, but we point to the one true man who, who was so disfigured so that we could be restored to his likeness. So Paul continues to say this. He, he, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That the old life is gone and a new life has begun the minute you say yes to Jesus. The minute you say yes to Jesus, the minute you step across the line of faith, the minute you step into the line of faith, because let's get honest, some of us get to walk a line and some of us, the line is kind of like a wide, wide river that we're journeying through still. And yet when we step into that, the minute we do, do you know something totally different has happened? You aren't who you were. You aren't who you were anymore. And so all of that stuff before you turn the page, oh, let's get real, there's gonna be consequences. And you're gonna spend your life walking with Jesus in the road of those consequences, but let me tell you, they're not the final word on who you are. No, 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 my friend. You are an entirely new specimen. So you go home tonight and you've said yes to Jesus perhaps for the first time. Your spouse isn't married to who they used to be married to. If you say yes to Jesus for the first time tonight, your parents have a new child that they didn't used to have. And if you've already said yes to that, Good Friday is good because it says to you this, you don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. He made him who knew no sin, sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, it is a strange, strange story. But it is the best story ever told. Let's pray. Jesus, there's people within the sound of my voice that have said yes to you, and I just pray that, God, your word would get to them tonight to tell them that they don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus, I pray that... Uh, For those that maybe have not yet stepped into the line of faith, that God, you would kick them over it. <laughs> that you would send them dragged, kicking and screaming across it. God, for those that have recently begun that journey, that you would continue to remind them that they aren't who they once were. And that Jesus, you would break through the self-deception and our disfigurement of soul, that we might be restored to your likeness this Good Friday. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.